As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. They were both in League Two only five years ago, yet Saturday offers Coventry City and Luton Town a place in the Premier League. Is this season's Championship Playoff Final the ultimate Cinderella story? I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. It was at war, but they refused to go under. They're heading to Wembley. Joining us for this one, the Athletics Matt Slater and Richard Sutcliffe, as well as our EFL writer Nancy Froston, will be with us very shortly too. And it is, isn't it, Richard? It is a fairy tale final. In fact. It was a fairy tale playoffs, given the background of the four clubs. Absolutely, you know, you know, Sunderland. We know three, four years down in League One, uh, but particularly with AC, you know, Luton Town. I saw them play York City, and they got beat in the conference playoff final at Wembley. I think 2012, 2013. Didn't come into the league for another couple of years. I think 2014. And to get where they've got through good management as well, it's not thrown money at it. You know, I would imagine. I don't know. If, I don't know if Coventry's wage bill will be slightly lower than Luton, but. I bet they're one of the few clubs that are lower than Luton's wage bill. So to have these two there, I just think it's fantastic. It it sort of gives everybody hope, doesn't it, Matt? I mean, the number of podcasts we've done on sport business or how to run a football club or investments and so on and so forth. Well, you know, you go back to 2018, both sides were in League Two. You go back to 2014, as Richard says, Luton were in the National League. So for those listening further afield, that that's the fifth tier mm-hmm. of English football. It gives old romantics a, a nice warm glow. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, mean, I think we've had Gary, Gary Sweet, Luton Town's chief executive yeah. on, on the pod. And, you know, he is a testament to, I mean, he came in with a group of local guys who basically rescued the club and they've done it on a shoestring they've done it incredibly sensibly I mean there's some amazing things at at stake here I mean if Luton were to go up they would be the first team to go from the fifth tier to the Premier League if Coventry do it I think that they would be the first team to go from the Premier League to League Two and back again so we're talking about 
two. This is the snakes and ladders. This is the pyramid. This, the, the, these two teams epitomise the pyramid. And if you have come to English football and you like English football, you think English football's USP is the pyramid, i.e., the jeopardy of promotion and relegation. These two clubs, this game, is it. It is Welcome to Wrexham. It's Ted Lasso. It's It's all those shows in a game. And these two teams embody what we love about promotion and relegation. Let's start with Coventry, shall we? Who, and I don't know which one of you wants to start with, their sort of ground and ownership issues from dropping all the way out of the Premier League when they were, I mean, God knows what this stadium is called now, but I still, still mainly refer to as the Rico, isn't it? I mean, Coventry Building people, Society. Th- thank you. Right. I yeah. mean, God, it's gone through all sorts. Come right. on. So Rico, all the, <laughs> I have to tell you, I mean, at the start of every season, I spend more time trying yeah. to learn what every stadium is called <laughs> than I do looking at who players and managers are. Anyhow, from dropping out from the Rico all the way down and all the way back with ownership issues, stadium issues, financial issues, tenancy issues. other people owning the stadium. I mean, it has been a melting pot of chaos. It has, and that includes this season. You know, we (laughs) talk about the ownership issues there, but the Commonwealth Games was held at the the stadium last last summer, so they couldn't play for the first three games of the season. Huddersfield was one that was postponed, and that meant they were bottom of the league after after a month, because I think, A, they'd played every game away, but there were also a couple of games behind everybody. So to come from that, I went down in October when Sheffield United were there and, and they beat Sheffield United. You know, a bit of a bit of a nothing game. But actually I got down early, so I went down to Highfield Road just to see, you know, just sort of wander around and see what it's like. And you know, somebody nicked nick the plaque which was commemorating the opening, <laughs> which I thought was a bit a bit rich. But you thought, you know, that there's no way I've been to Highfield Road, I'm, I'm sure you guys haven't. You know, it was a lovely stadium, and this was supposed to be, but moving was supposed to be the thing that changed everything. Mm. You know, that's what they were promised, the supporters. And yet everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. They've been to Northampton for two years, been to St Andrews for a year, mm-hmm. locked out. Even, you know, I wrote a piece, I think it was sort of November, saying what a good job Mark Robbins is doing. And that was because of everything that was going on in the background, because there was yet another threat just before Christmas that they get locked out completely. Because Mike Ashley had bought the stadium, I was buying the stadium. Another guy was trying to buy the club. We sense Mark Ashley probably wanted to buy the club, but it didn't happen. And it looked like they were going to have to look somewhere again. So to actually ride all that and take a team from, you know, like you say, from League Two all the way to the, you know, the very tip of the Premier League, it's an incredible story. And, you know, if Mark Robbins gets that over, then I think we're talking statue along with Jimmy Hill. <laughs> how, uh, yeah, their, their most famous son. How are they? Um, how are they, what, what is the ownership issue now, Matt? They got bought by um, by a local businessman whose name escapes me. Um, Doug King. Doug King. Yeah. Thank and this you, is Nancy. and this is this is a well, it's a lovely story. It's a lovely story because they really have been through the mill. And as Richard explained, right? So you know, if if this if Coventry City don't mean much to you because you just haven't you know you've, you've come to the football relatively recently. When I was a kid, Coventry City were an absolute staple of the top tier. They didn't do a great deal. They had I think they had an, an amazing knack of sort of never. Of, of just surviving, they were like they were like well, the most. Here's, here, do you want the start? Go here's on. the start. For, for 47 years, this is. Been, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's funny and not funny in equal measure. For 47 years, between 1971 and 2018, they never finished in the top six of oh, any wow. division they were in. So that <laughs> Crystal was Palace, you got a long way to go. Yeah. <laughs> so so that I mean that that is my memory of them, and 
uh, but they were they had this reputation for being well run. Um, Coventry is a unfashionable kind of place, and I feel I can say that because my dad my dad went to school there. But the club very much represented the city, and there was a they, they always felt like a sort of solid club. Then they went down, but around the time they were going down, this new stadium was was going to be the key to them remaining in the top tier. And it just went horribly wrong. They ran out of money and they lost control of their stadium. They actually had to sort of sell bits of it to the council. Some of it was handed to a, to a charity for a while. It all got very, very messy. We then had about sort of, you know, 10 years of, of just the, the, the usual things going wrong with ownerships and, and, and trying to sort of reunite stadium and club. They ended up in the hands of a hedge fund who it was totally unclear to me what they wanted with this team. It was ni- almost certainly around the land, the property. It's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting stadium because it was very much built to be multi-use. Mm. Casino, hotel, big car park. I think it was, a, I think it was an old factory, wasn't it? It was, a mo- it was, it was part of um, was it the Jaguar site or British, British Leyland or something like that. I think it was, I think it was an old factory site. Um, and there's, um, there's a big supermarket there. So it was very much about... It, it was in that sort of a first wave of this is going to be a 365-day business. We need footfall. So a lot of the stuff that we talk about, Mark, on, our, on, on you know, when we talk about the business of football, Coventry was sort of a bit of a petri dish. You know, it was sort of like, but it went wrong. They lost control of the experiment. And then they've struggled. And they've just, you know, wandered through the, you know, the lower divisions ever since. And this hedge fund had it. Anyway, the hedge fund finally sells after years and years of rowing where they became this nomadic club. And it's just suddenly started to go right. What they let's bring Nancy in, who so so far her only contribution has been uh, Doug King, um, because yes. um, <laughs> because she's been recording very busy at the moment, aren't you, Nancy? You've got lots of podcasts to record and lots of articles to write. So it wasn't yeah. we were ignoring you. You were a little bit late joining us. And <laughs> um, the, the the drop through the divisions and then the, and, and the arrival of Mark Robbins though led to. Maybe a, a clarity that the only way they were going to do anything to get themselves remotely back was was young players was bring through their own and they they've been incredibly successful actually despite all of this turmoil in developing young young talented players. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been players that they've developed themselves or ones that they've signed where you know I think. They paid maybe a million, it could have been more for Victor Jokeres and he mm. didn't blow anyone's socks off in a loan at Swansea. I don't, you know, I don't think that Coventry fans kind of thought that he would become this, which is, you know, their most saleable asset. And if they don't go up, I do wonder if this might be the summer he goes. And, you know, we're probably talking over 10 million at least, I would think, given the way he plays and what he adds to a team. But, you know, he's not alone. You've got Gustavo Hamer, Callum O'Hare, who they signed. He'd been in Villa's Academy, but, you know, a player, they gave a chance. Loads of players like that, you know, you could keep going. But in a similar way to Luton, they've had to be smart with their business. And, and you know, they, they haven't been able to spend loads and loads of cash on the done deal or, you know, it, it's been Mark Robbins being brilliant at what he does, not been shouted about enough, in my opinion, in terms of what he's done. Um, and, he, and he picks up all these players, either develops them or gives them a, a new home in his in his style of play and his system. And, you know, they've, they've been brilliant. And arguably kind of because of what Matt talked about and then playing in Northampton and playing in Birmingham away from home, probably have had a, a you know, a much less settled decade than Luton. So they're similar clubs in a lot of in a lot of ways in kind of the where they've come from, but how they've had to do it, I think is actually quite different. 
you say he's not been shouted about enough. I'm, I'm not really sure he's been shouted about at all, Richard, has he? I mean, I, I see jobs come up and... Coventry fans, this is not touting your manager to, to someone else. It's just a it's just a really interesting way of how these things work. You know, the Leicester job comes up, for example. People immediately go, oh, Michael Carrick. Well, hang on, Michael Carrick's only I know he's done a brilliant job at Middlesbrough, but he's he's been there for, for eight months. I mean, the back catalogue of work that Mark Robbins has is tenfold to what my and I'm not picking on Carrick there, Richard, but absolutely. I mean, I'm before coming to the FSI, I worked on the Yorkshire Post. So I've dealt with Mark a lot when he was, particularly at Huddersfield, and at Rotherham. And I think Rotherham has been a pretty good grounding for him in terms of commentary, because Rotherham had to leave the stadium when he was manager. They had to go to the Don Valley Stadium because they couldn't afford the rent at Millmore. So they just had to get out with the promise then that they rebuild the New York Stadium. But that's four years down the line. And yet he got them there, he sorted the team out, and they were in really good shape. He got, te- he got tempted away to Barnsley in the end. But he'd done such a good job there in such difficult circumstances that that's probably something he could lean back on for his playbook. But I totally agree with you. You know, you, you look at, you mentioned Carrick there, but there's Vincent Company, who's obviously done an absolutely brilliant job, turned around a club that I worried about them when they came down, just, you know, with the financial aspects and the, the repayments they had to make. You know, they need to bounce straight back, which obviously what they've done. But I know he's a huge name because, you know, he was at City in the, in the Premier League age. But, you know, Matt Robbins played at the you know, biggest, biggest club in the country. You know, and obviously he's credited with saving Ferguson's job going yeah. way back. So I don't understand why he's not mentioned. I, I agree with you. I don't know why he's not mentioned. I, you know, Leeds United, all right, they might not want to appoint a, a Manchester, an ex-Manchester United man, but, you know, they're coming down into the Championship and all these names are getting mentioned. Like you said, Brendan Rodgers, you know, could they, could they tempt uh, Graham Potter to come down to the Championship? Matt Robbins, you know, it, it's, whether he wants to go, I doubt it because... He's built such a big thing there. Even if they don't go up this year, you know, he's built so much in adversity. I would imagine it'd be quite hard to step away. But yeah, I think he's been fantastic. Brilliant job. So sometimes it's in this football world that we live in, Nancy. It's it's people look at image over anything else, don't they? I mean, you know, look, he's very down to earth. He's 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 not. He doesn't get carried away, does he? I mean, he's learnt he's learnt at the school of Ferguson. Maybe because he hasn't got, you know, a nice button-down shirt under a under a blazer and a pair of black trainers with white soles. He isn't getting looked at. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's not speaking badly of any of his former clubs to say they're not exactly fashionable clubs in terms of... He's not... He didn't sort of go straight into... You know, Coventry are probably the biggest club, if I'm thinking back properly through his career, hopefully, and getting <laughs> all the clubs right yeah. in my mind. But, you know, Coventry are probably the, the biggest club he's been at and he's built his way up to that. But yeah, the likes of Rotherham, Barnsley, Huddersfield, you know, that they're, they're not the type of club that maybe gets loads of attention unless they're in a playoff final or, you know, unless they're in a in a good FA Cup run or something like that. So actually, yeah, to have built what he has, I, I, I'm sort of on the same page as as Sutty there, I'm not sure if someone like Leeds came for him that he would necessarily go because I think he's got pretty much everything there now, especially under a new owner and kind of the new lease agreement with the stadium to go again next season and, and you know, be in a really healthy position. So, but yeah, I quite fancy them in the final. So, Do you? What kind of football do they play then? For people who haven't seen Coventry, what are they like? Uh, exciting, counter-attacking. And it will be an interesting game because I think Coventry are quite used to not having a lot of the ball. But then when they do win it, they're on you. They're straight up the pitch. Um, Jokeres is a nightmare because, you know, he'll score the goals, but he's also such a good 
um, link-up player. He'll hold up the ball. He can run at you. He's He's got the full package. And I do wonder if Brighton will have wished that they held on to him a bit longer. But yeah, the, you know, the, they'll want to counter-attack. They'll move the ball quickly. And whenever I've seen them play, it's been exhilarating. So I feel like when we get to the last, if it's tight, and I think it will be tight, and you get into that last 10, 15 minutes where it's all nerves... And all kind of everyone doing that mad dashing end-to-end stuff, which is what I love about most of the EFL um, a lot of the time. I think that'll just suit Coventry. And then they've got some, you know, big players, big big defensive players, which matching up to some of the aerial threat of Luton might suit them a bit more. So I think it'll be close, but I do wonder if the chaos is kind of more suited to them. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. On to Luton, Matt. Take, I mean, take us through. They were actually <clears throat> Premier League founder members, but got relegated. The yeah. sort of season, the season it started. Yeah, the season. The season yeah. it started. So, and then all the way out of the football league, mm. and now back. What? What's? What's been there yeah. off field situation, and what is it now? Yeah, what story? So yeah, they um they got to go to all the meetings. Uh, and then the, the, the Premier League starts. Yeah, sorry guys, <laughs> but again, you know that's 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 promotion relegation. I mean, I, I just think there are so many parallels between these clubs. So um, you know, I'm looking at their numbers and you know the revenue, wages, all all really really similar, all below Championship averages, by the way. So that again shows what how they both punch above their weight. But you know, Luton when they went down, 
I guess you could say they were going to more like their natural level. They didn't have that 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 length of tenure that Coventry had. There's another parallel in that their their best year is 1987 for both clubs. Luton came seventh in the Division One that year, and they won the League Cup. They beat Arsenal. Yeah. Coventry City beat Spurs in the FA Cup. 1987. That's yeah. that's not that long ago. I know. I'm an old man. Well, it it is, but <laughs> yeah, it know. is in my head. I don't think it <laughs> but is. But I remember and then I actually, it. Yeah. I actually count backwards, and yeah. it's it's nearly forty years ago. I know. So, I know. All right. <laughs> Yeah, all right. All right. I was but born, it was good. But... 87 Thanks very much, Nancy. I was, I was waiting for that. Oh, I was do. waiting for that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Anyway. But, but interestingly, Matt, yeah. when, when, when Coventry right. got through against Middlesbrough mm. and I was doing the radio and I said, you know, oh, so we now have the playoff final, Luton Coventry. I immediately, I did say, it's like going back to 1987 because yeah. that year sticks in my mind for both of those clubs. All right, well, I'm going to change all that and scrap that bit. I'm going to say 2018, of course, or 2017, whenever it was when they were coming out of League Two. There's your parallel. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm a very young man. Um, how would I know what happened in '87? Um, but so Luton, right down, starts to sort of bounce around. Their real problems started in about 2007, which isn't that long ago, and they uh, have the, I suppose, the un- un- unfortunate record. I think it's three straight relegations. Not many have done that. They went second tier to fifth tier at a rate of knots. And that last that last relegation was in complete disarray on and off the pitch. They were docked 30 points for you know for breaking all kinds of rules, financial rules, but very specifically around kind of dealing with agents. So they kind of went down in an element of shame as well. And it and that was real rock bottom. Uh, and Luton have always had this issue with their ground, which, of course, has, uh, has, has sort of dominated the social media commentary around Luton. They've been trying to move out of that ground, Kenilworth kind of Road, for years, decades, longer than South End. And that's a long time. <laughs> so um, this has been a problem for them. Now, look, they have got a site. They've got a clear plan. They've already done the training ground. It's going to get done. And I, I genuinely believe it of this group this this club now that they are going to achieve this this goal and, and being promoted will definitely help but this has been again one of the sort of specters this again this issue of a of a ground you have an old dilapidated ground what do you do i could think of sort of you know two dozen clubs that this this story would apply to but so luton luton really really lost their way 15 years ago and ever since then it has i think a wonderful story i think they've got is it is there not they've got another nice little record that They've finished a place higher every season for sort of seven or eight years. So they got promoted right. out of they got promoted out of the conference. I think as champions, and then it was back to back promotions, League Two, League One, and then sort of you know stability in the championship. They made the playoffs last year. So it's just this great story of progress, incremental progress, where you make good decision after good decision. I mean, just a just a final one on the on the ground, Richard, because you t- you talk to a lot of people. And everybody seems to well, they're 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 neutral on who wins between Luton and Coventry. But there are quite a lot of people who would like Luton to go up simply to watch Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester City having to deal with Kenilworth Road next season, which is going to need ten million pounds worth of work on it just to get it up to Premier League standard. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it reminds me a little bit when I I used to cover Bradford back when they got into the Premier League. And uh, I did a piece, I think it was either Lee Sharp or Gary Walsh, I can't remember, but they used to have one toilet in the uh, between the two teams, you know, to use between the two dressing rooms. And they said to the club, don't change that because this is going to be a great plus, you know, we'll have 
trying to think who the players are. There's obviously Hasselbank and all this sort of ilk <laughs> coming to Valley Parade. And they saw that as a great thing. And their home form did end up keeping them up that first year. You know, whether it was because they only had one toilet to share, I don't know, between 20-odd players. But it's a bit, it's interesting with Kenilworth Throne and people, you know, I, I know people have been a bit sniffy about it and, you know, you go over the gardens to get into the away end. But I think people have got matches that actually love that. You know, the players might yeah. not. Again, again, mentioning Valley Parade, as recently as um, when Arsenal came there in the League Cup and they got knocked out by Phil Parkinson's team, Arsene Menger had Arsenal changing on the bus because the, the, the dressing room was too small, which maybe will play on people's minds. But this year has been great to me because it's not their home form that's got them where they are. I think their home form, something like ninth or tenth in the division, it's how good they are the way from home. You know, I saw Bramall Lane, they won 1 0 there, and also Sheffield United finished second. And they're really, really good on the road. I think it's like the second or third best record. So, like Nancy, I think it's going to be tight. But, and, you know, people will say, oh, yeah, it's the wide open spaces of Wembley. I don't think it'll suit Luton. And they are physical. But I can see them sneaking it. You know, it's going to be a 1 0 job, I think. But I can see them doing it. Uh, and, and they've done all of this this season, Nancy. Let's not forget. With with a change of manager that was through no fault of their own. I mean, they lost. You know, Southampton came calling for Nathan Jones. So, so they've actually had no disruption from their manager going somewhere else. Yeah, and this is the remarkable thing. It's again maybe that thing of um, some of the talk about Kenilworth Road sort of feeds into that. I don't know if it's easy to look down on Luton and not take them seriously as this club that have made consistently made right decisions if they had a black box like Southampton did five ten years ago and everyone was talking about it and or or something like that you know they've probably got a version of that but they lost Nathan Jones once and got promoted without him out of league one so to lose him again I think it probably hurt a lot more that first time when he went to Stoke so to lose him again I think they knew they could survive that basically and not just survive that but they've made a brilliant appointment um in you know probably quite a sore one for Watford fans to see Rob mm. Edwards go in sort of take over he's tweaked a few bits but it's a fairly similar sort of setup and style of play to kind of what was going on under Nathan Jones um but what he's added to them you know I think so is he sort, cha- has Rob Edwards changed anything I think there's a, there's a little bit more it's not massive changes it's not sort of because it didn't need it they, they're already going well but I think they get the ball down a bit more and it's slightly less kind of sort of aerial threat route one type type stuff but you know a lot of it I think as well is is environment and mentality and culture which was there regardless of whoever was going to be manager so you know they've picked a very good young forward thinking coach who I think will actually probably be better prepared to take them on to the Premier League if he does then want to make more changes to kind of the style of of stuff that he was playing at Forest Green for example so yeah it's it was just an inspired choice and I guess to take someone who's just recently been at your kind of biggest rivals and not, I don't know, not not feel that that's a, a terrible decision or something that's just impossible to look at because Luton fans probably won't care if they go up now, although they're not going to think, oh, he's an ex. Well, it makes coach. him even makes him even more of a hero, doesn't it? To yeah. Luton fans in the in the you know he's left Watford, well, sacked by Watford, and he now comes to Luton and takes them up. I I kind of think probably in Luton fans' eyes, Rich, it makes him more of a hero. Absolutely, because you can always turn around to your biggest rivals and say, look what you could have won. You know, yeah. find his bullseye style because, you know, if they'd have stuck with him, could he have done this, you know, with obviously more talented players? You know, you look at that Watford squad, it's a fantastic squad. But if he'd have been given some time, maybe maybe Watford would be looking forward to a playoff final, but they're not. 
Um, where are we at with this game financially, Matt? What what figure mm. are we making up now to oh, say okay. that it's it's worth? Well, the industry shorthand is yeah. to say two hundred million. Two hundred million. Right. Yeah, now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, mm, it, it's sort of it's it's about that. I mean, if we wanted to sort of try and analyse it, because it's, it'd be worth different things to different clubs, of course. So go on, so, explain well, that. Well, just because you know, bigger, bigger, bigger gates, right? Bigger away yeah, following. Right so Luton are going to sell out. Yeah. Right? They've only got 10,000 seats. Now, I don't think they're going to you know, whack up the prices either. It's not really the, the ownership style. You know, Coventry have got a bit more room. But, of course, they don't own the ground. Sorry, that was another complication there. Yes. Um, so Mike Ashley's going to do all right again. But um, And then, of course, commercial as well. So, you know, you go up to the Premier League and you get, you know, more for your shirt sponsor. So it, it varies. But the, the bit that doesn't vary... And the bit that often everyone focuses on is the difference in TV revenue. So on that, it's pretty simple, right? You go up, and even if you're dreadful next year and come 20th, you are definitely getting the basic central award that every Premier League club gets, which is, you know, 80, 90 million-ish. And then you definitely get two years of um, parachute payments, which gets you to about, I think it's about 170 million. So sort of... 44 million year one, 36 million year two. So if you go sort of 90 million plus 80 million, it's about 170 million. Now, if you can stay up a year, so you get another year of Premier League money, you then also get, and then go down, you get a third year, you get a year three parachute payment. And that can get you to 290 million. So that's where some, you know, things start to get yeah. really exciting. So the idea that it's this the most expensive, the most lucrative single game is is a nice tagline because it, because in theory it sort of is. You know, if you win this game, you can even sort of just be dreadful. You can take next year off, and your revenue over the next three years is to, is, is is best part of two hundred million better off. But of course, no one does it like that because the first thing you got to do is you got to fix your floodlights and you know take out all your hospitality mm. suites because you got to put more TV people in there. So it's not it's not a Oi, 200 million pours in it well it does but it immediately sort of goes out the, the other the other door i wonder i wonder who the, the, the who ends up being on tv more will be quite interesting if they if they get promoted because i would argue as well nancy that the ground then comes into that as well i i sort of look at this season i've got no stats in front of me so i'm just trying to i'm just going on really what I've seen I think I, I would suggest and I know they've got a big history Nottingham Forest but Nottingham Forest as a promoter club have probably been on telly more than Bournemouth I would I would have said this season and probably I would have thought more than Fulham and I wonder whether atmosphere ground atmospherics are, are all part of that and therefore given what Matt said about the relative grounds actually Luton's ground could be an advantage in how much they get on telly because the cameras will want to be there for when all the all the big boys turn up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, with Forrest as well, you've got that, uh, not novelty, but because they were away for so long and, and what it's done for the city recently and all the TIFOs and all those, you know, amazing displays they did on on the way to winning the playoffs last year. That's that's had its appeal in its own way. And then, yeah, Kenilworth Road's got a magic about it. And I, and I wrote a an article that prompted a lot of uh, debate in the comments about kind of, you know, why I think Kenilworth Road's brilliant. And and if you're an away fan, there are probably a lot of things to hate about it. And, you know, I... I, I think there are a lot of things to love about it if but you're away fan But for me, as well. yeah, 
there are there are more things to love than hate about it because these are the grounds that are, are disappearing at a rate of knots. And yeah. you know, when when Luton do finally get the move to power court, it'll be brilliant for them. And and like Matt said, it's the thing they've been pushing for for decades. But also, if I was a season ticket holder, I'd be taking a little bit of that you know main stand or whatever with me because um, mm. it's still got the wooden benches and the players are going into the changing rooms in under a tunnel under a road and. Yeah, the away end is uh, that magical sort of between terraced houses entrance and everything, and and that will that will attract the TV cameras because yes, their their home form this season hasn't been as good as their away form, which is un, which is unusual for Luton. But if you've ever been there, that ten thousand feels like thirty thousand because it's so close to the pitch, and especially on a night game, it's so intense, and you know they will cheer. Um, a, a player tracking back to make a big tackle as much as they will someone you know make uh, scoring a goal or, or creating a chance or something and it's a level of intensity that I think comes from the kind of adversity that they've been through um, because there are certain qualities in in their players that I think matter more to them than maybe at other clubs where it's been a bit more straightforward for them to reach the Premier League so yeah it's it is a magical ground and I think it will attract uh, a lot of attention. And given both clubs have finally have had so many off-field issues, particularly stadiums and so on, as we've been saying, Richard, even if they go up and come straight back down, the money they are going to get could and should help the structure of the clubs going forward. Doesn't mean that they'll come straight back up, does it, if they come straight back down? Because we see lots of sides who've been relegated then get mired in the championship and not return. But it should help both of them, whichever one goes up, off the field. In theory, yes. And obviously we all get excited about the numbers that come in from this game. I also remember speaking to Paul Duffin when Hull went up the first time in 2008 under Phil Brown and he was the chairman. And uh, I was talking about it sort of a year after and it, you know, it all started to go wrong because they'd spent too much money and things like that. And he basically said, I think back then it was a £60 million final. That's how much you got for it rather than 200 But he says that's £60 million, the clubs are just like a valve or just like a, a pipe, really, where you pour it in at one end and the, it doesn't even touch the sides of the club and it pops out the other end with agents and players. And, you know, Sheffield United, you know, they, they were up for two years, came down, they had nothing whatsoever to show or being up there in terms of infrastructure. All right, they spent the five million initially on getting the floodlights right and the media area and things like that. But the rest of it just went on players and transfer fees. Huddersfield, exactly the same. Burnley were the probably the exception that they had all that yeah. money in the bank before Pace bought them, obviously, and then it was done as a, a leverage deal. But it's 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 rare, you know, all these clubs think, oh, we're, we'll be all right for five years now because we're gonna bank 180 million or 220 million or whatever. But the clubs just don't see that. You know, the training grounds don't get done. The, the grounds don't get done up. And all that happens is your ex-players are very, very rich people. Slightly, unfortunately, depressing way to end the podcast. Mm. But- <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. I know, we've been so cheerful before that. I'm a, I'm a so, I know, yeah, goodness <laughs> me. Fine line between realism and yeah, just misery. Um, so, uh, so you're going Luton, are you, Richard? Nancy, you're going Coventry. Yeah, yeah, close. You, you you could have the deciding vote if you oh. want, Matt. But given your dad's links, I'm guessing you're going Coventry. Are I don't you? know, but my but my father-in-law is a is oh, a Luton man. Crikey. Yeah, I'm going to go Luton. Oh yeah, right yeah. there we go, there we go. Uh, thank you very much to all three of you. Enjoy the playoff finals over the weekend. They're a very special few days of football. Uh, for more from the Athletic. 
Uh, just subscribe for £1.99 a month for the first 12 months. Head to theathletic.com slash football pod. The Athletic. <laughs>